Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. Luke 3, would you pray with me? <clears throat> Gracious God, we give you thanks for the fact that you are a sustaining God. You sustain us, Lord, through all things. Even when we don't feel you there, you are what is undergirding us and sustaining us in the midst of unimaginable difficulties and trials. Lord, we know that part of what sustains us is your word. And so, Lord, today, as we look to your word, we pray that we would find sustaining grace to take us, Lord, to the place that you would have us be, that we may hear from you, be empowered with, by you to get us to where we need to be, And that, Lord, as we do that, that we could bring others along the path. Father, give me the words that are needed for those who have gathered to hear from you today. So we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we were in the beginning of Luke chapter 3, and we heard Luke tell us that John came preaching. However, Luke did not delve into what John preached. He gave us the rough idea, quoting back to Isaiah, prepare the way of the Lord. But he did not encounter, he did not provide us any specifics. This week, he provides us some specifics. And on a Sunday in the Christian calendar that is to be marked by joy, I personally can think of nothing else that brings me joy and inspires it within me like being called a brood of vipers. That's what John did. And we should note that he does this to a group of people who have come to hear him preach and have come to seek the baptism that he is offering. Look at verses 7 through 9 in Luke 3. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. 
And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Why on earth would John call all these folks a brood of vipers? Beloved, one of the worst things that I can think of doing is following a faith, following a faith just to do it. It lacks all joy. It lacks all joy, and because it does, it doesn't inspire joy in others. Nor does it cause others to seek out the faith with which we profess to have. Beloved, people have enough drudgery in their lives already. They, they, they aren't seeking something to add to the drudgery that they exist, they have. They're not seeking something to further depress them. And when you and I go through the motions, that's all we're offering to them. Because our faith is not vibrant. Our faith is not joyful. Our faith is very much, in those instances, dead. It is why Jesus asked when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth because in that day there were so many who were just going through a form, a function of faith and excuse me, going through a form of faith and had no function. The Jews thought here in the text that because they were the children of Abraham, that they were good. They didn't need to worry about anything. Their lot in life was set. We are the children of Abraham. We are the chosen of God. We are special. Therefore, we don't have to worry about following the dictates of God. We don't have to bear any fruit. We can have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Beloved, let me ask you a question. This morning, are you relying solely on a long ago profession of faith without bearing fruit in your life that shows your faith to be vibrant? You see, a lot of us will think that bearing fruit is checking off boxes. A lot of us think that bearing fruit means that we're here on Sunday morning. Bearing fruit means that, that we are, are reading our Bible every day. Bearing fruit is that we're paying our tithes and we're making our contributions to Lottie and Annie and whatever else that pops up. Checking the box means we glance through the prayer guide. But beloved, that's just a form. Form says checking the boxes is sufficient. Function of faith says that replication 
and impacting others is the key. In other words, bearing fruit. So let me ask you about your fruit bearing. Are you being kinder today than you were yesterday? You see, beloved, you can read your Bible all day long, but if you're not kinder to someone than you were yesterday, today there's a problem. Are you more peaceable? Are you ruffling people on the wrong way and saying that, well, they can just deal with it, that's how I am? Are you actually seeking to bring peace and harmony into a world that is marked by dysfunction and disharmony? Are you more grace-filled today than you were yesterday? Are you offering grace to people? Are you pointing others to grace? Are you providing hospitality? In other words, are you making the stranger more welcome? Beloved, are you more self-centered today than you were yesterday? Because if you're all these better, you're providing fruit. You're making fruit. You're replicating. You're impacting the lives of others. You see, so often is the case that our coming to church impacts us. Our reading our Bible impacts us. If we don't do anything with all the stuff that we just check our boxes off with and go out and impact someone else's life, in other words, bear fruit, we're not doing anything with it. And our faith ultimately becomes stagnant and without joy. Ultimately, for these people who come to the Jordan's side, they begin asking questions. And so maybe that's one thing that we should ask for ourselves today. Are we asking questions in our lives that takes us to new levels of our relationship with God? Are we asking ourselves, for instance, am I kinder today than I was 10 years ago? Are we asking others? That may be even more a stretch. The other day I said in front of Eliza, I'm growing more patient the older I get. And she just looked at me and smiled. Maybe you should run out and ask that question of someone you spend a lot of time with. Am I more grace-filled? Am I kinder? Am I providing hospitality? Am I doing any number of things? If you go and look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, are you doing those better than you were? Beloved, the Jews who assembled that day asked questions. And ultimately, I think that is, that is what separates the vipers on the bank of the Jordan that day from the folks who are really seeking to be Christ followers or God followers in their instance because the Christ wasn't on the scene yet. What questions are they asking? Well, look, verse number 10. And the crowds ask him... What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. 
And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also ask him, And we, what shall, uh, excuse me, and soldiers also ask him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. And be content with your wages. You see, beloved, these questions point us to another matter. It's not simply a matter of whether our faith is, is just a dead form, but actually has function to it because we are growing in the gifts of graces. The gifts of mercy, as one theological writer wrote about it. But are we dealing with sin? Are we dealing with the opposite point of grace? The sin, the, the thing that comes into our lives and helps to redeem us and make us look more and more in the image of God. Because these questions tell us that our joy is impacted by sin. And we should note, as we'll look at in just a few minutes, that our dealing with our sin brings joy to others. John is quite explicit. He says that their sin needs to be dealt with. And if sin will steal our joy, what is it this morning in your life that is stealing yours? What sin is it that you are not dealing with? Now, I recognize that we're all good Baptists sitting in here this morning. And so we would say, well, I haven't murdered and I haven't stole, so I'm good. But my father's here today. And my father's presence reminds me of a verse from James that he beat into our heads as children. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so, beloved, you may not murder, you may not steal, but what good are you failing to do today? You see, we like to think that we're getting off the hook because we don't do anything that will put us on the news but, beloved, there are a ton of things in this world that God would consider sin, and you and I just pass them off and say, uh, that's, yeah, whatever. That's just how it is. What good are you failing to do? For someone else? For yourself? What good thing is it that you are leaving left out there that you need to deal with? Yes, there may be some big sins. It may be some sins in the top ten. You know, that place over in Exodus 20. But beyond that, what is it that God is speaking to you about today? That says, you're not doing good there. You need to go do this. And I would be remiss. I would be remiss. If I fail to note that in John's answers to their questions, John took on systemic issues that were facing their society. With the first group, 
about giving your food and your tunics. He takes on materialism and greed. With the tax collectors and the soldiers, he takes on extortion, threat, excuse me, extortion, theft, and the threat of violence. These were things that were rampant. And because John advises them to share in the first part to those who gathered, to share their tunics, to share their food, it points to us, at least, it should, for a call for us to address the systemic issues that are present in our society if we are to usher in the kingdom by being John's in this world. And remember that last week the text points us to the fact that if we are to be a proper people living in the preparation for the coming Messiah, we are to be John's in the world in which we live. It is a fundamental part of Grove Park that we are kingdom-driven people, which means that we point to the kingdom and we work to bring the kingdom's values here. And so if we're going to address systemic issues, what should we address? Well, notice first that John addresses systemic poverty. John says, look, there are people who don't have enough clothes. You got two, go give them some. There are people who don't have enough food. You got plenty, go give them some. This is in keeping with repentance, he said. Beloved, what would it look like if we addressed issues of systemic poverty? What would it look like? Would it look like for us advocating across our state and nation an end to food deserts where people cannot find affordable food? Probably. Would it speak to the fact that people are in poverty in part because of health conditions and so we work to bring affordable medications to people who need them desperately? Yes, I think so. But see there, they were stuck on their own materialism. They were stuck on all the stuff that they had. And so at this season where we celebrate materialism and couch it in the terms of celebrating the birth of the Savior. Let me ask you, what are you doing about materialism today? What are you doing about materialism and its impacts, say, on the environment? A few weeks ago, I talked to you on a Sunday morning about that great mass of plastic that is in the Pacific Ocean. I learned this week that that great mass of plastic that's in the Pacific Ocean is twice the size of the state of Texas. Where did all that plastic come from? Did it just pop up? No. It came from us. It came from us just scattering our stuff to the four winds because we're not really concerned about the environment. We're just we're concerned about what stuff that we can get. You see, beloved, when we delve into the depths of sin, there's a whole lot of sin out there that we like to mask. 
And we like to look over, but if we are going to be John, we have to address it. And I would be remiss if I didn't note that at the end, John deals with soldiers and tax collectors. And so the question becomes for us. What are we doing about systemic state-sponsored injustice? Like access to education and the need for criminal justice reform. Are we saying anything? Are we doing anything to make it better? Because these issues right by themselves could be easily classified as the tax collectors and Roman soldiers of our day. I should note too that I just went through a whole litany of things and I never mentioned the issue of systemic racism in our society. Beloved, let us understand something. If we find ourselves in the least way benefited by these systemic issues, we are complicit in them. We are complicit in these injustices and these are sins that we must address. If we remain silent when we are exposed to them, we have sinned as well. Because these are issues that are robbing our fellow image bearers. For all are made in the image of God. We are robbing them of their joy. Sin robs us of our joy because it keeps us from being the fullest. God, being, God expressing himself fullest in us. But it also impacts others. And robs them of their joy. And joy should be at the heart of the Christian experience. Now, I should note one additional thing. Sin is not the only thing which robs us of our joy. The writer of Hebrews lists sin as well as every weight. That besets us when he calls us to cast it aside and to look unto Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so, beloved, in the words of the urban poet Marshall Mather, is it time for you to clean out your closet? Is it time for you to clean out your closet of old hurts and old grievances and old bitternesses? Is it time for you to clean out your closet from burdens that you no longer need to carry? Is it time for you to clean out your closet of old hopes and old dreams that clearly God has moved past and says to you now, give up. And yet you expend your energy on it more and more and more. Beloved, Understand, it is difficult to give up on some, some of our dreams. It is difficult to give up on some of our hopes. I know, I understand that. I had to have a whole conversation with myself about this very fact yesterday afternoon. But understand something else. That we can quote Jeremiah 29, 11 all we want to. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans that bring you hope and a future. And we can use that as our excuse to hold on to things. But beloved, if God has plans for us, understand that us letting them go and move on to a new work means that if that really is his plan for us, he'll bring us back to it. And we can quit expending energy and time and everything else on that and not finding joy. Or we can move into the present reality of where God is and where God is calling us and we can find his joy there. And if somewhere down the path further, he brings us hope, brings us that hope back, that prayer answered, then it's to his good and to his glory. A reminder that Zechariah was told by the angel Gabriel, God has heard your prayers. And he was told that while he was doing the work. He wasn't sitting at home trying to figure out how to get Elizabeth pregnant in their old age. How he was to have the hope of his son or a daughter realized. No, he was doing the work of God. He was busy about the God's business being a priest in the temple. He was seeking to bring joy. And so too are we called to do it. And that's giving all these things up, all these sins, all these weights that beset us. We understand, what do I do with them? What, where are they going to go? Easy. Look at verse 15. The people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the, his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. John says, there is coming the king. I am not the Messiah, but he's coming. He's coming. And when he comes, he's going to come with fire. Now, beloved, understand something this morning. Our job in life, John's job in life, our job in life is to, is to make light the path for the Messiah. Not just to, to, to clear it, but to, to make it bright so that other people can see it. Because as we journey to him, he's journeying to us and we're to bring unimaginable light to that path. And how do you bring light to that path? You start a fire. When John Glenn was making his first trip around the world... The people of Perth, Australia were told to turn every light on in their homes outside, make fires outside, and John Glenn said, records in his diary that he knew when he had hit Australia because in the middle of all this darkness there was this massive light. What do you do with your sin? You throw it in the fire. What do you do with your old hopes? You throw it in the fire. What do you do with all the issues that are besetting us as a society, you go work to make them better and you throw what is wrong in the fire. Because understand something, beloved, 
ultimately, 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 in this life, everything is going to one day either be judged good or bad. And the things that we are working to prop up that are bad are going to be burnt. So the question is whether we're going to burn them now or later. Are we going to burn them of our own volition and make light the path so that others may find their way to the coming Messiah and that he may come to them? Or when he comes, are we going to stand judgment about the fact that we didn't light them on fire already and that we missed immeasurable joy? We allowed people to remain in the dark and to think that God was dead and asleep because we didn't go to seek to bring joy to them by addressing the issues that were most affecting their lives and robbing them of peace and joy and hope. Because we were more concerned with just pouring unnecessary energy into things that don't matter a hill of beans. Our task this morning is to bring light. And some of you have come this morning and you are so burdened down and you've heard about joy for the journey. And you know that we're all on a journey. But part of what's bringing you no joy for your journey is that you are so burdened down I understand. You need to lighten your load. You need to lighten your load today. You need to give up some weight that is easily besetting you. You need to give up the sin that is easily besetting you. You know, when, when we took our first ever trip with Scarlett, I think we packed every possible toy there was. So that my Ultima looked sort of like this. You know, I think they call it the Carolina Squat now. It's illegal in North Carolina. It wasn't the first time, though, we had encountered that. See, for a long time in our marriage, we encountered that every Christmas. Because we had to make a trip. We had to make two trips. We had to make a trip to Maryland. We had to make a trip to Richlands. And so we packed the car down with presents. Because we had to take it all. And I always felt the car was lighter once that last delivery had been made. I've talked a lot about bringing light to the path today, beloved, but maybe the thing that you just need to do is to lighten your road. And now I want to stop and say one other thing. There are some of you who are listening, there are some of you who are sitting here today who this season has brought you any joy 
And it's not because of something you need to give up. It is just because of the unimaginable weight that sometimes life does not go as planned and your heart is breaking. And so I want you to hear today this truth. He's coming. John said, he's coming. Jesus said, I'm coming back. And so for whatever you're facing right now that is, that is just unimaginably burning for you, understand, joy is coming to you. Some of us today don't have joy because of what we're not doing. Some of us today are trying our best to do all the right things and we still don't have joy. And so I want you to hear that joy is coming. Don't give up yet. It's coming. Maybe what the ones who need to give up something today do is to come alongside and carry the burden with the one who can't find their joy and make their load lighter too. Because understand something, beloved. When we do this, when we do this, we speed up that point where we meet him on the road and we encounter joy. The world needs joy. It needs joy more than it needs hope, I think. It needs joy more than it needs love, I think. It needs joy more than it needs peace, I think. So are you the joyful Christian today? If not, God's already talked to you about what you need to do. Now you need to go do it. To him who knows to do good and does not do it. To him, it is sin. Let us pray. Lord, in just a minute, we're going to sing a song called There's a Song in the Air. And I'm reminded, Lord, that the words of Zephaniah that you sing over us. And so, Lord, I pray today that whatever it is in our life that has blocked the hearing of that, that we may have joy, that we can't hear your song, that you would just, Lord, with the intensity of Pentecostal fire burn into our hearts, that we may cast those things that are clogging us and blocking us and preventing us from having joy into the fire that we may light your path and lighten our path to you. Lord, make us so uncomfortable this morning that if we are not bringing joy to others and we are not finding joy ourselves that we would not stop until we find 
rested comfort in you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abounds.